The information discussed on this show is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content is for general informational purposes only. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And once again, this week is no exception. I've got one of our most fascinating guests. I think he's been on the show more than anybody else on Guys Guys Radio, and his name is Paul Selig, and he's one of the world's most foremost channels, and he's just launched his 10th book called Resurrection. It's part of a new trilogy, and we're going to talk about the upper room. We're going to talk about quote-unquote spirituality and that journey that we all need to take to get closer to who we really are, which is divinity, if you will. We all, let's, let's say this, if we all come from God, God created us, if you believe in God or universal consciousness or spirit, whatever, but we came from someplace. So we're part of that. And as part of that, we have that in us. So we can do a lot more. We have a lot more power than we think we do, no matter what the media tells us, no matter how much they say we lack this and we need that and all the kind of control and criticism and suppression and repression that we deal with all the time and the chaos and the fear and the wars and the scarcity and the inflation, all this crazy stuff going on sometimes gets in the way of our being able to realize who we really are. And Paul's books and the teachings of the guides help us to not become something new, but to peel away all the nonsense so we can recognize and experience who we really are. You know, the Guys Guys Radio was built on relationships and dating originally, and the name of my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, was about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. It's kind of a male sex in the city, and that's what the reviewers called it, and Dan Wakefield actually referred to it that, the famous iconic 20th century author, Dan Wakefield. And my purpose was I really wanted to shine a light on men because you know, this is a time where it's the greatest time ever to be a man. I know people roll their eyes and raise their eyebrows at that, but you know what? This is a time where men can be anything they want to be. But it's also a time where it's never been less clear who men really are. Well, women are on this constant, continual path, straight path of ascension, recognition, and achievement, which is fantastic and long overdue, even though we've had some setbacks on that, uh, they're moving and they're moving ahead. And guys are falling behind in some instances, some of the young guys. The young guys don't have role models. There's MMA, there's superheroes. It's not a lot of authentic stuff out there for them. And the older guys and the boomers, they're, they're getting older and uh, a lot of them are set in their ways. And one of the things we do here on Guys Guys Radio is we bring information for all the busy folks out there, particularly the guys who don't have time who have not been inspired to really ask the question, who am I, what am I, how do I serve, what am I doing here? Because time goes by really quickly, and before you know it, you're in your late 60s, your job's going away, and 
you ask yourself, what am I going to do now? And then who knows what's going to happen that could go really well for the next 20, 30 years, or you could get something and that's it. It all depends. So I think it's important, no pun intended with the depends, by the way, but no pun intended. <laughs> hey, I'm making myself laugh today. So anyhow, I think it's important, though, that men particularly get exposed to new thinking, new ideas. So that's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio. We bring some fresh thinking. All the guests I bring you, all 650 guests we've had on the show, I make sure they have something to offer, something to say, something to add value. And certainly Paul Selig and the teaching of the guides is, is definitely value added. And I, I'm a real proponent of the work. And it's all about recognizing the divinity in each one of us. And you know what? Spirituality, you can roll your eyes once again at that. And people can say, hey, that's like woo-woo stuff. But you know what? It's about really living your best life. It's important for men to be exposed to new ideas. And the, the, the challenge nowadays is, is with the marketing and with the advertising because there's a thing called retargeting. So if, you can, if you're looking at a vehicle online you might want to buy or you're looking at tires online, you're going to get all types of content and ads thrown at you, sponsored content about tires and vehicles. You're not going to get new information. You're going to keep getting a barrage of information on topics that you have expressed interest in previously. So it's important to get exposed to a lot of different things. And the only way we can do that is go out on our own, read books, watch different YouTube interviews and uh, content there, and expose yourself to new people, new thinking, new ideas. It's tough to do that, but it's important. And each one of us is on our own, quote unquote, spiritual path. And one thing I've learned is that there's many roads along the spiritual path and everybody's on their own path. And everybody's in a different place. So you can't, if you think you've moved along faster than some other people, like, oh, they don't get it. They don't know what 5D is. You know what? That's wrong because it's not about finger pointing. It's about accepting and loving everybody the way they are, understanding that they have flaws, like we all have flaws, and you're not condoning a lot of actions that are going on out there, but you have to recognize the fact that everything comes from divinity. And that means all the people, no matter how bad they are, all the animals, all the trees and flowers, and even inanimate objects, the roads we drive on, our vehicles. And I studied, and part of my path recently was it got credentials in Ho'oponopono, and it's really about just recognizing, once again, the divinity in everything. So I see this tree outside my window where I do my show, and it had been looking really sad, and I started using Ho'oponopono on it. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. But mostly, I love you. And it's perked up. Over time, it's perked up. When I'm on the road, I'll use Ho'oponopono. I get a vibe as to how the road feels. All these cars trodden on it. Nobody ever says thank you. No appreciation. All this anger. All this tension. It sounds crazy. But once you start vibing with this, once you start on your path of spiritual enfoldment, you'll start to pick up on so much more information that you ever knew was out there that it's amazing and it'll really enhance your day-to-day -day living. I want to get more into that in my, my own path and some of the things I might be able to share with you, but I also want to get to our interview with our special guest, Paul Selix. So let's go there right now. Guys, Guys Radio, special guest, the world's, I think, most renowned channel today, Paul Selig. It's Guy's Guy Radio.
Okay, Guys Guys Radio, it's my favorite portion of the show when we have an interview with a very special guest. And my guest today is going to talk about channeling, about resurrection of the self, and lots more. Paul Selig is back on Guys Guys Radio. I think he's been my most frequent guest because every time he comes out with a new book, he's been kind enough to come on the show and we discuss it and get the word out there. So let me tell you a little bit about the new book and then about Paul. Resurrection just came out. It's the first book of a new series of the Manifestation Trilogy from Paul Selig. He channels the voices of the guides, otherworldly beings, great wisdom, tremendous spiritual insight, in case you're not familiar with Paul or his work. Resurrection is composed of the raw, unedited words from the guides as spoken by Paul as he shares the new manifestation of humanity, a vision of alteration and elevation that will shift how we think and move through the world. This new trilogy gives readers a glimpse into the spiritual underpinnings that govern our world. It provides an invitation for all of us to rethink, reconstruct, and rebirth our worldview in a transcendent way. Paul Sell is considered one of the world's foremost spiritual channels working today. Ten breakthrough works of channel literature, beginning with I Am the Word, which I discovered in a bookstore on 14th Street, right around the corner from where Paul used to live in uh, Manhattan. And it's just gone on and on. And now with Paul is a worldwide name in terms of channeling and the great work that he's doing. He was born in New York. He got a master's from Yale. A spiritual experience began for him in 1987 and left him a clairvoyant. His work's been featured all across every media platform there is and all around the world. He served on the faculty of NYU for 25 years and directed the graduate writing program at Goddard College. He now offers channeled workshops all over the internet, all over the world. Internationally, he lives in Maui, where he maintains his own private practice as an intuitive and conducts frequent live stream seminars. They're terrific. Welcome back to Guys Guys Radio, Paul Selig. How are you, Paul? I'm good. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So let's get to it. Let's talk a little bit about just kind of the work you do for some of those out there who may not be familiar with you or your work. This is the 10th book you've channeled via the guides. For the benefit of those who are not that familiar, tell us about who the guides are, the purpose of these books, and how the work comes through you into the pages that we read. Well, my guides are teachers. Um, I'm a radio for the broadcast that they emit, and that's really how I look at it. I'm not a spiritual teacher. I don't have any desire to be one, but I have this audibility to tune my radio, the consciousness that I hold to that level, and then they come through and they dictate these books in their entirety. So all of the books are spoken into being in the last I don't know, five or six, I think we're all done in front of audiences live. And the transcripts of those um, sessions become the books without editing. So my guides, you know, they, they've gone, they've utilized the name Melchizedek, which is an old name and a priesthood, but I call them the guides because years ago when my ex found out I could do this, he used to say, ask the guides this, ask the guides that, and that's how they wound up being called the guides and they don't seem to object. So that's the, that. The first time you channeled, what was what happened? What was your impression? And did you channel in the same way that you do now in terms of something came no. through and then you responded to it? No, I'm not necessarily somebody who even put a lot of stock or credibility in channeling. It was nothing that I was looking to do. I had studied a form of energy healing when I was in my early, early 30s. Um, and I was volunteering at the center 
for people that were living with life-challenging illness. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic in New York City then, and these places were popping up to provide alternative support. And I found that when I had my hands on people's bodies, I began to hear things for them. And that was the beginning, and people would confirm what I was hearing. So if I had my hand on somebody's chest and I, I heard the name Alice, I learned to say, who's Alice? And they might say, my daughter, my wife, my dog, my mother, you know, and as that was getting confirmed, I was also beginning to feel what was going on in other people's bodies. My initial opening was as a clairsentient and clairaudient. I started a little group that met in my apartment and met for about 18 years. And this was all while I was in the faculty at NYU. I wasn't looking to be known for any of this stuff. I was doing it very, very quietly. But I had a little group in my apartment that I thought would be doing the healing work that I learned from my teacher. I wasn't expecting anything else. And the very, very first time we convened, I began to get instruction. The channeling started immediately. But initially, I was hearing phrases, you know, small instructions, usually around receiving energy and the attunement to the word, which was the first attunement that they brought through, came in those early years. It wasn't until I was older, it was 2008, that they really began lecturing through me. Um, and that was after I'd quit smoking. Um, I'd been a smoker until then, and that seemed to really open me up when I quit drinking when I was 25, is when the psychic opening happened and the beginnings of clairaudience and clairsentience. So the, the dictation in lecture form began in 2008, and their first book was delivered in 2009, and they haven't stopped. They don't shut up, I have to say. <laughs> It's absolutely amazing. And the 10th book is is terrific. It's called Resurrection. What makes this book, in your opinion, since you've channeled nine books previous to this, and this is a new trilogy that's beginning, what was your mm -hmm. sense of this as being different? Where are we going with this book? Well, they're talking, it's called the Manifestation trilogy, trilogy, and they're talking about manifestation, perhaps not in the way that some people might wish. A lot of people think about manifestation in terms of getting stuff. But they're really talking about how a world is made new through consciousness, how a new world or a higher level of vibrational accord is brought into manifestation through consciousness and how we are the conduits for that um, through our own alignment to our true nature, what they call the divine self. So they've already finished, they just finished two weeks ago, the dictation on the 11th book. So I'm still swimming in that because... You know, it's just so much to take in. But, you know, all of the books in many ways are primers in realizing who and what we truly are beyond the idea of who we are that we've inherited, which the guides call the small self or the personality structure. We all have a personality. There's nothing wrong with it. Small self isn't a bad thing. But, you know, they say the personality self knows itself through history and through the lens of history, and it's a history that's been learned through a belief in separation, that we're separate from each other and our source. And they're supporting us in transcending that, or moving beyond that to a higher level of realization, which is, they say, knowing who and what we truly are, so that we can claim into manifestation the divine as form, because they say all things are of God, we just deny it, mm -hmm. you know? 
I just I just was accredited in Ho'oponopono, which you might be familiar with being out there in Hawaii. And it's really helped me take me to my own unfoldment to another level on that. Those phrases, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And the concept behind it, we operate from uh, data, from memory. And all yeah, that data yeah. gets in the way of the divinity that is really us. And it seems like there's some consistencies between what the gods are saying Absolutely. and Ho'oponopono. And the challenge, it seems like, for us collectively and individually seems to be, how do we clear ourselves, clean ourselves, and clean everything around us so we can allow spirit to live through us? Not, not well, living that's the 11th book. That's the book they just dictated. That's exactly <laughs> what they're talking about. They're talking about history and memory. And that memory, which is faulty, because all of our memories are born through a lens of separation, which they say is faulty. It's not true. Um, memory itself needs to be renowned. And that doesn't mean you're pretending things didn't happen. It's not spiritual bypassing. It's reseeing and renowing source, where source has been denied. And they talk about history in the same way. And this is personal history and collective history. You know, we can't, we don't really have the convenience anymore of choosing what we want to decide was so, I think. And they say, you know, history has been claimed by the victor and all things that we've been taught are born again through this lens of separation. So they're not excusing anything. They're showing us, I believe, how to be realized in a higher level where those ideas aren't interfering with our awareness of what is always true. But I'd say what is true is always true. They say what you bless blesses you in return and what you damn damns you back. And who you put in darkness and what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. It's real simple, simple stuff if you think about it. So I, I know the phrases of Ho'oponopono. I don't know the whole teaching of it. I'm, you know, even though I do live in, in Maui now, and I suppose I should read it, but I never read anybody. You know, I... Because of my work is so specific, I actually, I buy everybody's book and then I don't read them because I just want to keep, I want to keep the channel clear. You know, that's all. One of the concepts, uh, the underlying concepts in many of the books is the upper room. And it seems to be the upper room is a when you raise your vibration, your frequency, you're in a place where you've cleared a lot and spirit has a better opportunity, if you will, of yeah. living through you. And we recognize more of who we truly are, which is spirit. However, we live in a world that has a collective agreement that's in denial of divinity. Tell us, Paul, yes. what is the upper room and how can the everyday person on their spiritual enfoldment path balance reaching for the upper room, doing their best to stay in that vibration, yeah. if you will, while the rest of the world seems to be going crazy? Well, the guides have said that there's an aspect of everyone that already expresses there. You're not inventing it. You know, you're not saying, well, this is a nice fantasy world to hang out in. They say the true self or the aspect of the divine that knows who it is and what it is and how it serves, which is in each of us, you can call it the true self, the eternal self, the Christ within, the monad. They call it the monad for the most part. Um, that aspect of us, they say, expresses in what they call the upper room, and they talk about octaves. So the reality that we know and we're sharing is an octave of vibration and tone. And they say any song or any tone or any piece of music can be uh, resung, you know, in, in a higher 
and a higher octave, which is what they do. So the books are really about transposition, how vibration and tone is transposed to express in a higher way. The claim, I am in the upper room, which they say is claimed by that aspect of self that is always there, is a simple claim because it's always true. That aspect of self always expresses there, even when my personality structure is throwing a tantrum, which happens fairly frequently still. <laughs> so the claim, I am in the upper room, is a claim of truth at the level of the monad or the divine self. It is. What's interesting about this, because they take people there in their workshops, and the books certainly do this as well, is they'll bring people to the upper room, and, um, and it's just a series of, of incantations or claims of truth that support the vibrational field in this level of alignment that has to be accrued. It's not a magic wand, but most people can feel it right away, which I love. Um, they say, you know, they'll, they'll get, bring people up there and they'll say then, well, and now what are you afraid of? And there's nothing. You go to the upper room and there's no fear. And that's what they say. The octave above the common field that we've known ourselves in doesn't operate in fear. Fear isn't present there. And so consequently, when one is making choices, one is not claiming fear. And the guides say the action of fear is to claim more fear. And every choice we make in fear gets us more of the same. So when we go to this level of consciousness, and they call it Christ consciousness, you know, not, I don't think they're talking about Jesus. I think they're talking about the level of awareness of source, which, you know, they also call the kingdom, or they say the upper room is how you get to the kingdom. And they say the kingdom is the awareness of the inherent divine in all things. They say you can't make anything holy. It already is, but you can deny what you want. You can deny it in anything you wish. And when you deny the divine in something else, you move to that level of alignment. So you go to the upper room and you begin to have this other experience of being. And I have to say, I've had it now. And it's amazing. It's not, it's life, but it's life in a different experience of being. And there's flow and it's a whole other way of being in the world for me. And I still, you know, go back downstairs with my frustrations and my, my dramas. But when the guides say is when they bring you to the upper room, the first claim that you make there is the claim, I have come, I have come, I have come, which is the monad of the true self announcing its arrival. And they say when you do that, you're basically giving permission for the God within to reclaim every aspect of you that's been hiding out and, you know, trying to sneak, sneak, sneak downstairs into the basement to hang out in the shadows. So it's a large process of acceleration of frequency and also exhumation. But they say we're going through this individually and so is the whole world. We're all in this. That's why things seem so messy right now. Everything is coming up to be reseen and renown in a higher way. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, my special guest is world-renowned channel and author of Resurrection, book one, The Manifestation Trilogy, Paul Selig. Thank you, Paul. You, you mentioned the octave and the tone, and a lot of folks talk about, oh, we're in the three, third dimension and we're moving to the fifth dimension. The octaves and the tones, are they, is that similar to this? And when you take the I octave... I guess so. My guys have never talked about the fifth dimension. You know, they don't use... There's a zeitgeist in spiritual communities, and there's jargon. People sometimes say, tell me what my soul contracts are. And it's like, they don't talk about soul contracts. They talk about things that we agree to, which is probably the same thing. The upper room well may be what other people are calling 5D. 
Um, but I think that they've been cautious in some ways about how they use language because things become somehow appropriated into pop culture and then lose their meaning and their true meaning. And I've seen this because I've been around this kind of work for, you know, over 30 years now. And, you know, the word ascension, which my guides will use on occasion, they use carefully because I think it's come to mean different things in different groups, different cliques. So I, you know, I don't choose the language. I just take, I take the dictation as it comes. And maybe three times in all of the years that I've done this, I've heard them use the word dimension or dimensional realities. Perhaps they've used it three or four times, but it's not part of the jargon. They speak in musical terms. I suspect to mean probably the same thing others are talking about. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're that special. I just think they have their own way of communicating. Now, when they talk about the octaves and the tone in this one chord, if you yeah. if you go all the way deep in that, is that one chord symbolic of spirit itself and everything? The chord is life. Question. What's your definition of spirit? God, monad, what okay, vibration, yes. whatever. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they say, you know, they because they, they referenced it, like in the beginning was the word, the one note sung, the one sound, which is creation. The very first book was called I Am the Word, and they called the word the energy of the creator in action. And that's where they began this teaching. And the teachings, as they've continued, have all been about the rearticulation and manifestation of what they call the word or the monad or the divine self into form. That's really this teaching. So yes, I think that is God. The one note sung is God. You know, all things, they say everything that we see and can imagine is of that one sound or one tone, but is known in varying levels of density or, or, or vibrational accord. You know, they, some, they've been saying for years, high, low, and in between, and that's our reality. There's high vibration, low vibration in between. And what they're, but that's this octave. And they say the, there are infinite octaves, you know, there are infinite levels of consciousness. They say the upper room is the highest one we can align to while maintaining a form, mm -hmm. while claiming a body. And then there's, there's beyond that. Now, you mentioned that you know when you're in the upper room, and it sounds like you know when you're kind of slipping out of the upper room. For, the, for our audience, those who have been attuned and maybe those who have not been attuned and who have not had been exposed to some of the affirmations. I know who I am in truth. I know what yeah. I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. I have come, I have come, I've come. And the others, uh -huh. I am holy, that which was introduced in this book, Resurrection. How do people know when they are in the upper room and how can they maintain themselves there as long as possible? Obviously, we're all going to fall into well, like, we're going to get that's angry. That's what their books are about. Mm -hmm. That's what the books are about. You know, it's a big thing. Um, I don't think it's like you take the pill and you're there. I think you might take some pill or some kind of concoction and be there for a little while, but then you come back and you have to integrate what you've learned. So the teaching of being in the world, but not of it, which is in some ways what they're teaching, because you're not letting go of the body, you're not letting go of your, the things that you're accountable to in form, that would be sort of magical thinking. But my understanding is there is no fear in the upper room. I'm not operating in fear. I'm not engaging with fear at that level. 
Now, what we don't see, and this is what they're working with now, and my understanding of the instruction, is how much of our experience has been permeated by fear, so we're choosing through it without even knowing we're doing it, you know, and that's what's being addressed. So when I say I'm in the upper room, I'm not saying I'm living there 24-7 in my experience, but I do have to say that my experience of being in the world has really altered. You know, the guide said to me the other day in front of a lot of people, you know, and it was a public live stream, and they said to me, you know, we bring you what you ask for, and then you say no, <laughs> still. And it's true, I, I've been known to do that. I began to understand this kind of fluidity of my experience, which was, I go, boy, I think I should go get that mole looked at. I should make an appointment with a, with a dermatologist. And the next day the phone rings and it's the dermatologist's office saying, hi, we have your card on file. We think you should, you know, mm -hmm. and it was like a year ago that I mailed a card in, you know? So it's kind of like this idea, which was a new concept for me that our needs might be met in grace and not through struggle, mm -hmm. you know, which is a whole other thing because you're moving in the upper room to the source of supply, which is you're not kind of agreeing to, to, to lack in the old ways that we're taught to. And so I have a lot to learn here, but I got to say, I'm, I'm wary of people that think that this is all a quick fix. It's new age bull, you know? Mm -hmm. When it is, because I don't know that it's a quick fix. I think the experience of being in a higher way is available to all of us. And I have to say, I when I was first coming into my own spiritual life in my early mid-20s is when it was, and I was teaching in those days, I, I was working to, doing a program for, that, that lived in the New York City public schools, and I used to have to take the subway. I was so poor in those days, it was ridiculous. Take the subway to the South Bronx, which in those days, I haven't been there in a long time, was a real wasteland. But I met these people that were teaching in these schools, and they were the most of all people I've ever met. I was floored by them. They were humble, they were aware, they knew what they were doing, and they were there in service of these kids who they loved. I saw that. I was shocked at how, I mean, I became a teacher in a lot of ways after that experience of seeing what it really meant to teach. And these aren't, these are people that wouldn't know what a chakra was if you, if you asked them, nor would they care, you know? So I don't think the jargon of spirituality and even like the claim, the upper room is useful unless it's experiential. And I think you can have the experience of these things if you want them, because they exist. You know, the books that the guides dictate are away. When I was in my early thirties, and I was studying with a woman who's no longer with us, not who somebody we know in common, somebody I knew when I was quite young. And I took it, I did a workshop with her and she said, okay, I'm going to give you a little prayer and it's going to work and write it down and be very careful about how you write it because you're going to get it. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> but I, I, at that time in my life, I was so confounded and aware that there was more. I've been given just enough proof that there was something huge that I didn't understand. Like I knew there was something you could call God in a way that maybe I've never quite known to that level since, but it was powerful. And I said, I, I remember exactly what I wrote down, but I basically said, I, I want to go all the way with this. And in retrospect, I should have asked for a life partner or an apartment. But I said, I want to go all the way with this. And I sometimes I think 
But that's what the books are. The books are a way for people to do that. People who are asking, as I was, as a very young man with a, a heart that wanted to know God, for, for lack of a better word. So, you know, I think it's all got to be experiential. And if it's not, it's, you know, it's an interesting pastime. You know, that's my thinking. A couple of other things that have come out of out of the books as I've gone through them is uh, that I think are important and help 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 articulate these for me, Paul. Is mm -hmm. one is it's important that we love everything and everyone. We may not like somebody, and we may not have to hang around with them all the time, but we have to recognize them as part of God, as we all are part of God because we have that spark within us. So that's very important. That includes inanimate objects. That includes everything. So. If I'm on the road, I might say, I'm sorry, I love you, or there's a tree that was uh, not looking too well outside my window, and I kept saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I think it's it seems like it's important as, a, as an exercise, if you will, to make sure that we recognize a divinity in not just everyone, but everything. Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll agree with you. I think you're conflating the teachings. Okay. Um, you know, most of us still operate as if love is a personality structure and emotion. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if we just work towards acceptance, we're ahead of the game. Um, you know, the guides say what you judge, you fear. And, you know, the action of fear is to claim more fear. So I agree with you. Um, what the guides do teach is that everything is of source and you go, well, you know, what about a gun? What about a knife? And they say, well, you know, the metal, the steel that makes the knife is of God. It's how your intent, what your intent is with that object, you know, high, lower, in between, that must be understood. They say basically we're the problem in the world because we've been given the power to choose and create. And we choose in greed and in fear and in, you know, the need to be right at the cost of somebody else always being wrong and all of those things. But I agree. The book that they, they, the book Resurrection and the book that they, they just finished is speaking a lot about matter and matter being anything made in form and how that is known and renown as of source. The claim that they work with in these books is the claim, behold, I make all things new. And that's not you painting something, painting a dirty wall and saying, I've made it pretty. It's about realizing the inherent divine in the wall. What creates the wall is the same what creates the skin in your body and the stars in the sky. It's the one note song. And the realization of that, they say, is what changes the world. So we're not really recreating things. What we're doing is peeling away so we see how things actually are. Absolutely right. You can't make anything holy it already is, is what they say. Okay. Yeah. The notions of fear and collapsing, I noticed the very prevalent in the in this book, Resurrection, and that at this time in our history, and I think you'll probably agree with me, Paul, and we were, lived in New York and we were around through a lot of different ages in the in that great city and now after that, and mm -hmm. it's things have never been quite as fearful as on the brink, if you will, and there's a lot of mention of things are going to collapse and then they're going to be better. And it's very confusing to a lot of people. Like, what does that mean? Do I have to start growing my own food? Is everything going to collapse? Or is it an individualization that each one of us goes through our own process with this? Or is it, and there's a collective part of it, but how does, how does the guide seem to articulate that to you, Paul? I think both things are true. You know, Edgar Cayce, 
I think it was Edgar Casey, and because I don't read people, but I did read this because it was interesting. Um, and this was years and years ago. Edgar Casey on Revelation. Edgar Casey was the you know the 20th century early the sleeping prophet. Mm-hmm. He used to go in deep trance, and he basically said, you know, that humanity really has a choice to go through the end of the, the apocalypse at the individual level or see it outpictured. And I don't think it's the guys I work with have never talked about apocalypse and army. And, you know, they don't talk about this. It's not a fear based teaching. But I do hear and have heard for the last, well, 13 years that everything that's been created in fear is going to need to be reseen in a higher way. And those things that have been so informed by fear that they can't, you know, be, be transformed may leave. I don't know that that's bad. So if somebody wants to read these books and say, oh, my God, I got to go hoard food or build a bomb shelter, (laughs) they're reading some other book that wasn't intended. But people will run with anything that they want to and that serves their their fear based need to to perpetuate that. So that's not what they talk about. I live and this is because I was one of the most frightened people I've ever met in the world. And I still have days where I'm not so great. But I'm not living in that place anymore. I'm really not. I have great hope now for all of us in a way. And um, I'm surprised that that's how I see it. But I'm also not surprised when things fall apart. You know, and the guides have said educational systems, economic systems, governments, all of these things, everything is being moved to a higher level of vibration. So those things that are entrenched in fear or the need to control, I think, which is the action of fear in some ways, um, you know, are being altered. And, you know, the guides have used a very simple example, like when a seed breaks through the earth, the earth around the seed is disrupted. That's what has to happen for the for, for the plant to bloom. And I think we're in this period now, and I think we're going to be in it for a while. And I'm, again, hopeful. The guides have said, I think it was four generations, I think that's what they said, before we really begin to see the evidence of the new, in, in, as we would hope to. And that's my language, as we would hope to. Um, but that, you know, the change that we're undergoing is, is beneficial. The very first book, I Am the Word, which was dictated in 2009, the guides called us the first in a generation that was sort of party to this great big wave of change that was about to begin. And I think we're in it. There's no way around it. The guides uh, indicate in the book that if the reader needs some assistance going along the way after reading the book, that they can kind of reach out. That's true. And and that's the case. What's the best way to kind of reach out to them if you need clarification of something or just like want to be pointed in the right direction or just get a... I think I think you're I think they can ask themselves in a higher way. Ask the guides. Don't ask me. Mm-hmm. I'm not course, the guide. Right. You know, well, people do. You <laughs> oh. know, and people I have people that say I had a dream you showed up in my room and you were saying that. And I go, that wasn't me. You know, I've got better, better places to be than your room. And we've never met. Thank you very much. So it doesn't work that way. But I think sometimes people will use the channel as the symbol for the guide. And it's not that case. When I'm channeling, they are very physically present through me. My eyes, I've been told, change color. I, they go a bright, bright blue very often. 
and I don't have bright blue eyes. I have hazel eyes. But I think if you want to talk to the guides, talk to the guides. I just, I don't, I think they're teachers. And I think they sponsor the, the student of their work at a certain level. But I don't get that they're the guides. We're going to say, you should buy the house on Main Street or <laughs> Main Street. You know, the personal guides that, you know, people want access to. Right. Um, and, you know, they're coming through me in a very specific way. And they've said they're coming through this me in a specific way because this is a canon of work that they want to maintain the integrity with. So, you know, I don't, you know, I think people can tune into their own guides quite readily. But if, you know, there's support for the teaching, I think they may give a nudge. Yes. Paul Selig, my special guest, the new book is Resurrection. He's one of the world's foremost channels. Book one, the Manifestation Trilogy, channel text. Paul, I think one of the most important aspects and teachings in this book is when we communicate with spirit or the divine, why not consider asking, instead of asking for something, ask, how can I be of service? Could you elaborate mm -hmm. that on a little bit? Because I think it's so important. And I think when we do that, that spirit, I don't want to say looks upon us fondly, whatever, but I think it's a good thing to do. Just a Instead of asking what's in it for me, what, what can I do for another? Is that the yeah, question? Exactly. Um, well, does it matter? I don't know when the guides often people often say, cause I do a lot of live streams and the guides take questions and people will say, well, I know who I am and what I am, but I don't know how I serve. And that's in response to one of the, the claims of truth. The guides use, I know who I am in truth, what I am in truth, how I serve in truth. The guides have said again and again, how one serves is how one is most fully expressed as the true self. That's it. How you show up doing that may vary. Finally, I believe that it's the energetic field you hold that is an operation and is serving to uplift others through co-resonance. You become the doorway or the portal to the upper room through this level of activation. But, you know, people say, you know, well, what am I supposed to do? Go feed somebody, you know, is what they say. You know, if you have extra, give it to somebody else. Stop. We want this to be convenient, I think, and I don't know that this is always convenient. So how one serves is how one is expressed, but I think if there's something to be done, it, it's generally made known before us or we can choose it. So there's nothing wrong, I feel, with getting one's needs met. I think we're here and we have the right to be. You know, and I think that if we start realizing source, it gets easier because we're not looking at the job as the source of our income or the spouse as the, the source of the emotional security. We're, we're looking at something beyond that. Um, but I, you know, I'm an old time 12 stepper, you know, and I used to have a therapist years ago, Hurricane Harriet. I loved her. She was a tough old broad. She, she knows I, she's on the other side. She knows I talk about her because she's come through a bunch of mediums saying, who's this woman who says she used to be your therapist? That's Harriet. And I hear she gets a kick when I talk about her. But once she said to me, Paul, do something nice for some, do something good for somebody else every day and don't tell anybody about it. It was terrific. <laughs> Well, you're it doing, was terrific. It was wise advice. Well, you're doing terrific work for everybody all the time. So thank you so much. And the guides, I'm wondering if the guides have any message for our listeners that we can uh, share. 
I'll, I'll go in. I, I don't. I was. I was with clients all morning, so I'm, my okay. my brain's a little fried. We'll see. One thing to say. They're saying one thing to stay. Stop deciding. Stop deciding what should be, what should be based on old evidence. Based on old evidence. Allow the future to unfold. Allow the future to unfold. Claim the highest role. Claim the highest for all. Step into the new. Step into the new and don't demand it be what it was, and don't demand it be what it was. The new seeks to be born. The new seeks to be born. Don't inhibit this. Don't inhibit this by claiming the old, by claiming the old because you're reliant on it, because you are reliant upon it, period. And they're saying period. Fantastic. Well, Paul Selig, our special guest, thank you for coming back to Guys, Guys Radio, the new sure. book, Resurrection. It's out now. Paul, where can people find out more about you, checking out your live streams, your workshops, and individual consultations? It's my website, which is my name, paulselig.com. Everything's up there. The books are available in all the online retailers and bookstores, so easy to find. Uh, thank you so much. I cannot recommend Paul's work with the guides more. Every book gets better and better. It's life-changing in a really good way. I'm not selling. I've experienced this. It's fantastic. And I thank you, Paul, for your friendship. I thank you for coming on Guys Guys Radio. And God bless you. Keep doing the work you're doing. Thank you so much. It's Guys Guy Radio. Another fantastic interview and conversation with Paul Selig talking about the teachings of the guides, the new book and the new trilogy. Resurrection. I really enjoyed that. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. And you know, folks, what what I really learned and from talking with Paul is that we don't want to put this quote-unquote spiritual enfoldment on a pedestal and think we're more advanced or better than others because we might have some more information and we might have opened ourselves up to some learning and some new ways of thinking and considering and viewing the world, even going up into as Paul referred to, the upper room. That doesn't make us above anybody. That's just a place of, of higher dimension, if you will, where fear cannot exist because fear begets more fear. And when you're in the upper room, there's no fear. So basically what happens is we are stripping away, stripping away all the stuff, all the data, everything that gets in the way of our experiencing spirit, spirituality, God, if you will, divinity through us, because we come from that. And then we get covered up by all this other stuff and all of the media and all the negativity and all the fear and all the fighting that's out there and polarization of you versus you and your red state or a blue state and all of this stuff where we forget that we're all people. And I think it's so important that we realize that ultimately it's about each one of us working on ourselves to make the world a better place. Because you can't fix anything that's out there until you begin working on yourself. And working through Paul's books and the guides has been extremely helpful to me. I met Paul back in 2008. I was in a bookstore. He lived in the West Village. I was living on West 34th Street. My girlfriend at the time, who became my wife, she was shopping for some minerals, crystals, and stuff. And I was looking at the books, and I saw this book staring at me. I am the word, Paul Selig, and I took it off the shelf, and I took it home, and I read it, and uh, I didn't really understand it, and uh, normally I just put it aside and say, okay, I gave it a try. It felt pretty dense to me. Then I decided, I'm going to read it again. I think it's important. I read it again. 
I got it a little more. I still didn't get it. I read it, and I don't know why I did this. I've never done this in the past. I read it a third time, and it clicked. And then I signed up for one of Paul's workshops, which he did right, right down the street from where I bought the book. And there was not that many people there, and I found it like amazing because the way Paul works is, as you noticed in the interview, the guides come through him, so he speaks the words of the guides, and then he repeats them. And so he's there like a radio, as he says, a radio transmitter, and it's really amazing. And I really started to vibe with the teachings and had a real interest. So each new book that came out, I made sure I got a copy of and read. And I went to another workshop and I took my then wife, we got married, to a workshop, a weekend workshop. And then afterwards, we spent the the next couple of days together, of course, because we were married. And... uh, Nine months almost to the day, the date of the workshop, uh, she became pregnant with our son. And a beautiful, beautiful, love-making, beautiful, beautiful uh, birth of our wonderful son. And I would dot the timeline back to our time we spent at Paul's workshop together. It was very, very helpful to me. And I continued, and I began doing the radio show, uh, the podcast version at least, I got Paul on there as one of my first guests who was not part of the kind of dating relationship scene that I mentioned earlier, and things started to open up. Uh, The publicist, uh, Sarah Scarlett is her name, she kind of discovered me and started sending me guests, and I began interviewing them, and things started to grow, and the brand, if you will, the Guys Guys brand, we started to grow organically, so it went from relationships and dating to how can you be the best man you can be, and then how can would be the best human. So a lot of our audience is female, and that's wonderful. And we just keep bringing the information out there that can help people. So what did we learn from Paul today in the guides? I think we learned that we're all on our own journey. If we spend more time on love and not judging, we're going to be a lot better off, and the world's going to be a better off situation. There's no magic pills or instant answers out there. We have to do the work. But it should become an enfoldment instead of, it's not how hard you work, it's how you align yourself. And if you can align yourself more to divinity, spirit, if you will, God, if you will, whatever you want to call it, more things, positive things can happen for you. And it's not all about, I want this, although you can ask for things for sure. There's nothing wrong with that, as, as Paul had mentioned. But if you flip it around and consider, how can I serve? How can I best do what's necessary to make the world a better place? Wow, that's a pretty cool place to be. So give that a try. Consider that and see what happens. All right, Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. The podcast, my YouTube and Rumble, post worldwide every Thursday There is a replay of the KCAA Guys Guys Radio every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific time here in Southern California. But you can stream the show, you can listen live, live, or you can download. So there's no excuse for you not to be able to catch our show. And I would ask you, if you enjoy the content and the guests I bring you each and every week, do me a favor. It doesn't cost you anything. Please subscribe to the YouTube, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, or wherever you consume your content. I'm also all over the internet and social media. My website is robertmanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness. A lot of the 
topics that we cover here on the show each and every week. All the content is free. There's over 300 blog posts there for you. And you can also download three free chapters of my novel, which is the kind of source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. And it's there for you. And then you can buy that if you enjoy it, if you're digging it, uh, wherever you pick up your books, online or maybe in some of the bookstores. But you can get the physical copy or the e-copy. I'm all over social media, Instagram, follow me, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, what have you. I'm out there. I'm not doing TikTok, but I'm pretty much every place else. So we're going to be back next week with another wonderful show. I've got a lot of really cool guests lined up for the remainder of 2022. And we're getting, we're going to ramp up for 2023. We've got a lot of plans and a lot of good things in the pipeline for you. So I want to thank all my wonderful guests that I've interviewed over the years here on Guys Guys Radio and so much value they've added to all of our lives. I've learned so much. I hope you have also. I want to thank my wonderful producer, Chris. And also, most of all, I want to thank you, my wonderful audience that keeps growing and growing. Thank you for getting on the, the guys, guys train, if you will. And we're going to keep rolling because we got a lot of work to do. And again, it's good to work on ourselves. We work on ourselves. We can help the world. So keep that in mind. Forgive me. I don't want to be sanctimonious. I, want to, I, don't, I don't want to be making a speech. I just think it's important that we, both, we all do the best job we can working on ourselves to make this crazy world to get it to calm down and be a better place and the place it can be. Because as you can see, things are pretty out of, out of control right now. And we've got to be the ones that make the change by being the change. So guys, guys, radio, I'll see you next week. And like I always say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>